So we have Governor Mike Huckabee, who is joining us from Nashville to talk about a really momentous occasion. Five years on TV, sir. Welcome to the program. Stacy. it's great to talk to you again. You have been in our theater and uh, seen our show, so you know what it's about. Uh, it's been an amazing four years. We're starting year five. And uh, just last week, we had Meatloaf on. His first onstage appearance in six years, he's been battling some health. So when people think of my show, I don't want them to think that it's all politics. It's fun. It's entertaining. And yes, there's enough politics to keep it current and interesting, but not so much that it will make your head explode and take your blood pressure to 300 over 200. So that's what I noticed about it when I was there. First of all, it's such a beautiful studio setup. It's enormous. It's I, I've heard it's bigger than some of the late night hosts on television that are, are you know, the, the guys who only mock conservatives and mock Republicans who shall remain nameless. Yeah. But um, I remember being there and signing the brick wall and coming out and thinking, how did I even fall into this life? And you and I had the best conversation. It was fun. We covered some tough topics about gun rights, but we had a great time. And then you had musical guests. You even played the guitar that evening. I remember thinking um, it was something like what I see on television when someone who's like a normal person ends up on TV and they're kind of in the back, like thinking, what, how did I get here? Only it was me. And you and I were laughing and talking about your daughter, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who at the time was the press secretary of the United States. And I'd met her in the White House and she was so sweet and kind and just like the the most normal person. And then I'm talking to you about her and then we're on TV. And then afterwards, I'm back at the hotel thinking, what just happened to me? So tell us about the five years. I've been watching, by the way, I follow you on Instagram and I see the clips. The show has been so fun is what is what I would say about it. Well, that's what we really want it to be. We want it to be old-fashioned show that people really don't see anymore. And a lot of the late-night stuff is so angry and bitter. It's not funny. It's just bitter. And I want there to be music, comedy. Last week, we had an amazing uh, young man, an acrobat, who did a unicycle 20-something feet in the air. Honestly thought, this guy falls. There's several of us that are going to get totally killed. He'll fall on us, and we're all dead. Uh, you know, but it's it, you'll never know what we're going to do. And we just have a good time. Uh, but we do have newsmakers. I mean, we've had the president, the vice president. We have several prime ministers of various countries, members of Congress and governors. Uh, so we try to talk to the viewer with the topics of the day and, and make it where it makes sense to them. But we don't make it so that our audience feels like they're just being yelled at because there's just no need for that. And I know when you were on our show, we talked about uh, the gun issue and the articles that you have written. Uh, oh, no, I'm not hearing Governor Huckabee. Are, are you hearing him, Haley? That they want oh, from the mainstream media. So you dropped out there for just a second. Can you, can you restate your oh. last point about what we were talking about with the guns? Yeah. And of course, Stacy, when you were with me uh, there in Nashville, we talked about uh, the gun issue and a brilliant article that you had written. But the whole point was to try to help people understand it from a practical standpoint, not to just make them mad, but to make them smart about the issue. And uh, you have been very good about helping uh, to bring some intelligence and thoughtfulness to that topic 
which a lot of people get angry about, but they don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. And I think one of the things that is most interesting about the gun topic is whenever I bump into someone and they, you know, invariably start talking about issues of the day, if they turn to gun control and we begin to talk about it just, you know, person to person. So not Stacy on the right and some person who's on the left, but just two people who fell into a conversation, I find that they really begin to understand my perspective. And I'm able to tell them that, you know, no one is against mental health reform or working with, uh, you know, to create better relationships between the police and communities, but just enacting more laws that criminals will ignore. And in the same way that they ignore the current laws doesn't actually help. And when that's a part of the conversation, then it, it, it really is something where each person can leave and, and think, okay, I'm going to think about this a little differently going forward. Um, I, I know that people who are Democrats can have a conversation and they can listen, but our current political structure really discourages that. And, and it's really the vilification of anyone on the right and anyone who has an idea that is not the leftist orthodoxy. But that's happening on television. In real life, people will talk and they will uh, gain an understanding from each other. And I I get that feeling when I'm watching your show. I, I literally will be sitting there and listening to the guests and think, oh, I never even considered that. And, and some of your guests are people I've, I've heard before, but you have been pulling things out of your guests in the interviews that I think it's just really valuable for us to have something fun that also covers news of the day that is not angry and not um, objectifying one side. Well, I appreciate that very much, because if I have a guest on, maybe who has a very different point of view, it is never my intent to ambush them, uh, to pretend to be, uh, you know, some type of, of polemic attacker to that person. I'm going to treat them like a guest. I'm going to listen to what they have to say. I want to know what is it that makes you tick? And even if it's someone with whom I agree, I don't want them to go off and just do name calling. I get so frustrated if I'll tweet something out. Most of the time, my tweets, quite frankly, are tongue-in-cheek, and <laughs> it's done with a sense of humor. But I find that a lot of people on the far left, they don't have a sense of humor. But the responses that they come back with are not uh, any type of retort to the argument that I've made. It's just vulgar name-calling. And I'm thinking, really? That's all you got? You know, you just helped me win the argument because you didn't engage in it. Instead of a debate... You just screamed and yelled and sounded shrill and howled at the moon. And that's not an honest discussion. And you say by simply yelling at someone on the other side that you disagree with. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100 percent. And I, I so I want to I want to kind of circle back to something because I whenever I, I see you on Twitter and, and you really do have more of a tongue in cheek, it's not there's no name calling. There's just points being made with a little hint of a twist at the end, like a lime, if you will. Um, but it, it, I, I look at when I'm, I'm looking at your bio, you know, Governor Mike Huckabee, American politician, Baptist minister, political commentator, author. You served as the 44th governor of Arkansas. You're hosting Huckabee on TBN. You're the father of the former White House Press Secretary of America, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who is currently running for governor of Arkansas. So from that perspective, where you've done all of those things and you, you've lived a life, you look at what happened, let's say, at with the booster shots. Let's 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 kind of let's kind of go there. I, I I've been watching okay. and commentating, sir, about, you know, the the 
there's a dichotomy here. We have a whole group of people who say they want everyone to get shots, but then the way they're going about getting people to get the shots is antithetical to selling anything. If you want people to do something, you don't vilify them, you don't threaten to fire them, you don't you don't push them out of society. You bring them in, explain what you're trying to do, and then you have to have some credibility. I really don't think the Biden administration or the CDC have any credibility left on uh, COVID-19, whether you're calling it a shot or a vaccine. They've lost all of that because there's been so much flip-flopping and a refusal to have a full conversation about treatment protocols or or even um, people who've had the the, the virus and, and are now immune, which, you know, immunity is a thing. Um, so where, where do you where do you see us going with this with now they're saying you can have booster shots? What do you think Americans are going to how they're going to respond to that. You know, Stacey, I think you made the most important point, and that is that they have destroyed their own credibility. They kept telling us, follow the science, follow the science. That's what we're going to do. We're not going to get emotional. We're going to follow the science. But they haven't followed the science. First of all, the science hasn't been consistent. And secondly, uh, when the science came forth, they didn't follow it. And, and a great example is that if COVID is as threatening as it's frankly, I, I believe that it is. I mean, I just had a dear friend of mine died yesterday in Dallas mm. from COVID. So I know it's real. I've had several friends who have died and others who've been deathly ill. So I'm not minimizing the impact of it. But this notion that there's nothing greater in all the world. And then I watch people come across the southern border. They haven't been vaccinated. They haven't been COVID tested. And they're turned loose all over the United States. So tell me that it's the biggest threat we have, unless you're an illegal immigrant, and then it must not be a threat at all. That's where I say, somehow now you're not following your own science, you're following your political science. And that's the only science that they've been consistent about. Personally, you know, I tell people, this is an individual decision. I don't want to mandate somebody else's vaccine. I took the vaccine because at my age and having had pneumonia and some uh, compromised lungs, uh, it made sense for me. But if you don't get the vaccine, it's none of my business and it's none of my concern. And I also think that if we're really going to follow the science, why don't we make allowances for the people who have COVID, who quite frankly are better protected than those of us who had the artificial vaccine? Yeah, I I. I've been saying much the same. And I've been finding that, um, you know, in my email box and communications with people where they're saying, you know, um, I noticed that the people who aren't vaccinated are very tolerant of those who not only those who are vaccinated, but people who've had COVID and have recovered, people who've never had COVID. It seems that the only ones who are completely um, intolerant are those who've been vaccinated. And I kind of think it has something to do with a fear that, number one, we, we now know that the the vaccines have a certain length of time that they are effective. So I, I keep saying, you know, if you if you have consulted with your physician and you feel like the best choice is to have the vaccine, that is a smart choice to make, not out of fear, but out of a desire to make the best decision for your own health. Um, but other people are making a decision not to get vaccinated based on those same parameters. They've talked to their doctor and they're not really sure what kind of reaction they may have or if they even need it because they've already had COVID-19. So I'm able to have, like you and I are just talking, our blood pressure's not up, neither of us are sweating. We're fine. We're just talking. Um, you're vaccinated. I'm not. And we're having a conversation completely tolerant of each other. But I don't see that on CNN or MSNBC. I don't see that coming out of the White House. And especially um, CDC Director Walensky and Dr. Fauci. And now the governor of New York, uh, 
Kathy Hochul, she was at a church over the weekend saying she wants people to become COVID-19 vaccine evangelists and apostles to go out and, you know, take the message out to the people. I don't think that's biblical. No, it isn't. It's it's a little bit frightening when you try to uh, almost deify a vaccine. Stacey, I don't believe that a person who gets vaccinated is more virtuous than a person who doesn't. And I don't believe a person who doesn't loves the country or their liberty more than one who does. It's a personal medical decision, just like some people, uh, you know, take Benadryl for allergies and <laughs> others don't. I don't know why we turn this into some kind of uh, uh, almost a, a litmus test for whether we are truly conservative or whether we love our neighbors. Both of those non uh, ideas are nonsense. And as I said before, if you don't have the vaccine, I'd be happy to sit down and go to dinner with you because you're not a threat to me. I got to, you know what I'm saying? It doesn't matter. And I'd be delighted to share a meal with you. And I wouldn't say, no, I'm not going to eat with you unless you get the vaccine. That's nuts. Yeah. We don't live like that. I can't imagine people having that kind of attitude. It makes no sense to me at all. No, it is nonsensical. Um, and I and we've never had this attitude before. I I remember getting the uh, the flu shot every year, and and you know, rarely missing it, and never ever asking anyone else if they've gotten the flu shot. This is the first time we've ever had yeah. this kind of attitude about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I take flu shots. I've done pneumonia shots. You know, I've. Because I just I travel so much and I'm with so many people that some things I do is out of a matter of caution. And because my doctor says that for me, it makes sense. But if I were 18 years old and healthy, I'll be honest, I wouldn't take the vaccine because I do have concerns about the effect that it's having on younger people, especially young males. We don't know. And, uh, I, you know, I would be very nervous about it for my grandchildren, all of whom are 10 years age and younger. I'm not sure they need it because the likelihood of one of them having severe consequences for COVID is almost non-existent. So it's different depending on how old you are, what health conditions you have. That's why I think when the government comes in and starts mandating, and I just saw today United Airlines is going to fire 530 people uh, for not having a shot. And I'm thinking, really? And in New York, you mentioned they're talking about bringing the National Guard in to backfield hospital positions. And I'm thinking, this is nuts. You've got all these healthcare professionals. They were heroes a year ago. Mm-hmm. As far as I'm concerned, they're still heroes. Some of them don't need a vaccine because they got COVID in the hospital taking care of people. And now they're going to be let go. Uh, that's when it no longer is about following science. And I sometimes fear that some of the politicians are more interested not so much to control a disease, but rather to control a population. Yeah, I I, I agree a hundred percent. I I think the the point you're making about the the healthcare workers. So this is all coming at, at a time where we have you know over 10 million job openings in the country, and we are already mm-hmm. experiencing a nursing shortage. And there's also the, just a overall sense among hiring managers that they're getting ghosted a lot for the positions they need to fill. And that's at big corporations, mid-sized corporations and small businesses. So we don't, we, we shouldn't fire people who are already in the job and working well. And I, you know what I think about when you talk about, cause I'm, I'm, I'm in the position where I don't have perfect health, but I don't feel 
unhealthy enough to need to get the the vaccine. But I do know, having been in the hospital before, that hospitals, they kind of work in teams, the nursing teams, that, that there are teams of nurses who work on, you know, they're, they're for a certain floor, they're for pediatrics. And then on pediatrics, there are teams on that floor that work with gastro patients, or they work with, you know, heart patients. And so they've formed a cohesive unit. And that is very hard to replicate by bringing in someone who National Guard's people are excellent. I'm, I'm not questioning their capability. But bringing in two or three National Guardsmen to backfill nursing positions on floors, that, that's not going to give the best health care to those patients. It's a, it's a recipe for disaster, quite honestly, because things in the National Guard hospital are done differently than they are in the hospital that you know, just lost 75,000. That system lost 75,000 uh, know, hospitalists. That's just, it's just crazy to think that they would even allow it in a time where we have a nursing shortage to begin with. It, it makes no sense. And unless the National Guard are trained specifically for that particular medical specialty, it really is an insult to the medical profession to say, ah, this job is so easy. We can just bring a soldier in, tell him to set his rifle down, pick up a stethoscope. We're sure that it's no big transition. Uh, so unless it's a trained nurse, doctor, paramedic, EMT, uh, you know, you, you don't fill a RN position with someone who isn't an RN or a physician's position with someone who's not a medical doctor. Some of this makes no sense. It's not just about how many bodies can you put up and down the hallway of the hospital. And that's why I'm thinking that some of these decisions are not being made uh, from a standpoint of science. They're being made from a standpoint of control. Um, I don't understand it. Some of this is head scratching to me why people are so adamant. And you see people in stores yelling at people because they're not wearing a mask. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm thinking, what's the deal here? I watch people in cars sitting by themselves driving down the street <laughs> with a mask on. Right. And I want to honk at them and say, dude, you're by yourself. You can't give yourself the virus. Man, lighten up. This stuff is crazy. It is. So I, I couldn't. I'd, so I'm listening to you talk about that. That's exactly how I feel when I pull up to the light or, you know, someone's turning, uh, you know, into the opposite lane and you see them and they're driving by themselves with a mask on or it's a mom and her two kids and everyone has a mask on. I'm like, well, you're in the same family. I mean, you're going to the same place, aren't you? So anyway, I, I, I wanted to ask you one more uh, uh, topically. I wanted to shift before we let you go. I know we have our time constraints here. Uh, we're getting close to the end of the interview, but this is one of the things that I was looking forward to discussing with you, and that is Afghanistan. Um, obviously, the pullout was botched. It, it was not the plan that was left to the Biden administration by the Trump administration. The timeline was, was you know, messed around with the number of troops, the, the order of, you know, pull, uh, evacuation, all of it was done differently. I, we've never seen this before. I doubt if we'll ever see it again, an evacuation, a removal of our troops in this way. What do you make of the future? We, we actually have a story from the Military Times from yesterday that shows that the Biden administration is saying that the, the nation of Afghanistan is a free space. And if we need to hit terror targets within it, we don't have to coordinate with the Taliban. So we will be bombing and droning and doing whatever we want in Afghanistan without coordination, other than to make sure that our assets are protected. What do you make of this new reality that we've left behind there and, and going forward with Biden? The worst thing we left behind is American citizens. The fact that we pulled out and did not have a mechanism to make sure that all of our own American people 
were out of that country before we pulled the military out is something that I'm not sure we'll ever live that down. And, and we learned yesterday in the hearings before the Senate that Joe Biden flat out lied when he said all of his military advisors uh, totally supported his notion of the plan that he executed. Yesterday, we found out because they all testified under oath that they urged him not to close Bagram, not to pull out without leaving 2,500 troops behind. And even when he was pressed by George Stephanopoulos in an interview, he lied right to the camera when he said, oh, no, they were with me all the way. There was no split decision or split counsel on this. And then he threw in uh, that I can remember. And I'm thinking one of two things, Joe, either you're lying or your memory is so bad that you can't remember what the three top military people around you suggested you do in light of this, that you really are not fit to be president. You've got to step down. So this is a feeling that I think a lot of us have about President Biden. But the alternative is so much worse to have Kamala Harris actually be the president of the United States. Um, it just feels like we're in like Israelite type judgment here um, if she were to ever become the president. But Biden is just that bad that, you know, we, 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 we don't have a choice here. We don't have any good options. It's kind of an amazing time to be alive. But I have to tell people, uh, I have to tell anyone who's listening right now, you are going to have an amazing time if you tune in to Huckabee on TBN Saturdays at 8 p.m. Uh, Pacific, 11 p.m. Eastern, and Sundays at 9 p.m. Eastern time. Thank you so much for joining us today, sir. Governor, I, I, I enjoy you on TV. It's great to talk to you and hear your voice. Uh, be blessed and, and stay safe out there as you're doing your work. God bless. Thank you, Stacey. Take care. All right. Take care. And I'm so excited to tell you about our advertiser, the Alliance for Shared Health, changing healthcare and changing lives with 40,000 households, more than 40,000, who are getting access to their health care benefits through sh health sharing which enables them to use the prescription card called SHARE uh, to get access to their medical, dental, vision benefits, and also to go to doctors and get their critical needs met. So you can find out more at stacyontheright.com. Just click the banner ad or go to familyvisionmedia.org and click the banner ad there. Click through, learn more, and join us. The Alliance for Shared Health is changing healthcare and changing lives. Thank you for joining us here on Stacy on the Right, the podcast. Find out more at familyvisionmedia.org and stacyontheright.com. See you next time.